0: you're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Thank you, Mr. Jacob. My wife and I are grateful and happy to be back in South Dakota. When we walked into church this morning, it was the first time in two weeks that we'd been here at Eastside. It's great to be back. Saturday morning, the 11th of this month, a little over a week ago, we packed up our truck and our camper and headed to Wisconsin to Spooner, We stayed in a campground there that Saturday night. Went to Harbor Light Baptist Church in Ashland, Wisconsin, Sunday morning for Sunday school and the morning service. And on Wednesday night, we were at Spooner Baptist Church in Spooner. Made a reacquaintance with a fellow missionary we knew back thirty over thirty years ago. That was good. The reason we were gone is Donna buried her parents on Monday the 13th. I was the one that was asked to do the service. It was short, 23 minutes. I like short services for that purpose. And I got thanks from four of the five siblings that were there. Because the rest of Donna's family doesn't go to church anymore. So if you ever think to pray for him, we'd appreciate it. But in that, it was interesting to see the difference in the way things work in three different states. We also touched briefly in the drive up and back through Larchwood, Iowa, and then up through Manly, Minnesota, and up Highway 23 to Marshall and St. Cloud. We stayed every night in the Scenic View Campground, uh, 10 miles west of Spooner, and after the funeral, we There were some things that we wanted to go see. Uh, We wanted to take the Spooner train ride. That was closed for the year. We had museums we wanted to go to. They were all closed. A lot of places we saw were closed. An awful lot of businesses were boarded up. Wisconsin has handled the pandemic very differently than our governor, Christy Noem, here as in South Dakota, Don and I are personally grateful she's the governor. She has done an excellent job and taken an awful lot of flack from the national news media. I'm afraid too many of the people in the national news media think that we do this in downtown New York City, so it's got to work everywhere. Uh, South Dakota is a little bit different than downtown New York City. Uh, She caught a lot of flack because of when President Trump was here in the uh, time at Mount Rushmore on the 3rd of July with the fireworks and all the people. And from what I understand, they haven't seen any cases that they're aware of that somebody got COVID-19 from that grouping of 7,500 people which they were told was going to happen and there was going to be hundreds and hundreds of them that got it. But all that comes from one little Issue: how do you interpret what you read? As I understand it, the CDC issued guidelines to follow. I have heard, and I haven't personally verified it, but in the state of Michigan now, if you are seen outside without a mask on, it would be a $500 fine. And they're urging citizens to take pictures of people without masks and turn it in and they'll try and figure out who it is. Those were guidelines. At least that's the way I read it and the way I understand it. So you seem to have different interpretations. Well, when you come to Bible, There's a wealth of interpretations of everything. I went to two seminaries. First one was was Bethel Seminary in Arden Hills, Minnesota, Baptist General Conference. And I had spoke up and asked a professor a question in one class. Afterwards, one of the uh, young ladies there cornered me and said, Mark you actually believe Jesus is coming back to this earth?" And I said, that's what the Bible says. She says, that ain't never gonna happen. That lady was studying to be a pastor of a church. So there is a wealth of information out there doing some of the research this morning on the internet I found all kinds of interesting things for what I put in there, and it came from all kinds of different religious groups. Not all of them were Christian. But when you deal with Bible prophecy, you study the issue, and where I like to start, we're not going to go into detail tonight you look at the Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in the Old Testament. You know something? They're all literal. You get Old Testament prophecies like of the birth, life, and death of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were all fulfilled literally. Then you get New Testament prophecies fulfilled in the New Testament. They're all fulfilled literally. But there's a lot of people out there, well, future prophecies... Well, that's just figurative. That's just a concept. They ain't literal. Well, if God is God, and he is, he is a God of his word. God is a God of his word. If he says he's going to do something, he will do it. And it will be fulfilled Exactly as he said it was gonna be. Please open your Bibles to First Thessalonians chapter four. First Thessalonians chapter four. Hopefully these are a familiar passage. First Thessalonians chapter four. We're gonna be in a number of passages this evening. But before I start, let's pray. Father, we come to you this evening, a needy people. Father, we need to hear from you through your word. Father, please give me the words to say and the words not to say. I pray that you would use this time in each of our lives to draw each of us closer to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning in verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. When you see that term asleep, talking about believers, believers are referred to when they, their physical body dies as asleep. Donna and I believe her mother was a born-again believer, and she would qualify for the sleep part of this. That ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. What is one of the reasons for a funeral or memorial service? It's not so much for the person that's died, it's for those who are left, that they can put closure, they can feel that they have witnessed a life well lived. Not everybody would believe that, but have you ever talked to a mother, or a father, or a sister, or a brother of somebody, my generation say, that didn't come back from Vietnam? They have no closure. There's nothing there. But if we die in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can have closure. The people that know us and love us can have closure because they know we're gonna they'll see us and we'll see them again. Comfort. This passage is referred to as the rapture. Of the believers, it's when Jesus comes back in the air to take all the believers across the whole planet to be with Him forever. Everybody else that's not saved, that hasn't repented, asked the Lord Jesus to save them and come into their hearts and be their Savior, will be left on planet Earth and. I can take a wild guess and say that the people that are left here on Earth after all the Christians are gone are going to feel like they're the lucky ones. Well, they've got a hard wake-up call. It's called seven years of tribulation, first three and a half years of general trouble and confusion and chaos, and then the last three and a half years The time of Jacob's trouble, Israel, will be put upon like it never has been before. Then we're going to have the battle of Armageddon. Then Jesus and all of the believers that are in heaven, Old Testament and New Testament, will be coming back physically to the earth led by the Lord Jesus Christ. A man, a God-man, a leader, definitely worth following. He will put down all of the opposition, the revolt, the rebellion, the warfare, and then he will land on planet Earth, the east side of the city of Jerusalem, And then we will go into what is commonly called the Kingdom Age or thousand-year millennial reign of Christ when Jesus sits and reigns on David's throne in Jerusalem for 1,000 years. Okay, so I've established some groundwork, a basis, a foundation, Let's assume that everybody here in this room is saved. We've all been born again. During the seven years, where will we be, and what will we be doing? Well, I'd like to spend the next few minutes talking about crowns. Crowns are a symbol of royalty, they're a symbol of authority, they're a symbol of victory. Let's start in 1 Corinthians, chapter 9. 1 Corinthians, chapter 9. This is Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 24. He asked a question. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? He's talking about an earthly race. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery If you want to ever be in the Olympics, it's going to take a lot of time and a tremendous amount of work. You have to be temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, one that only lasts the proverbial 15 seconds of fame. But we as born-again believers and incorruptible. We strive to please the Lord Jesus Christ, and if he deems us properly prepared and ready, we will get a crown. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy, chapter 2. An important point here. 2 Timothy 2, verse 5. 2 Timothy 2, 5. And if a man also strive for masteries, there's that word again, Yet, is he not crowned except he strive lawfully? Well, if we're going to get a crown, who's the one that's calling the shots, if you will? Who's the one that makes the rules? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor did a fantastic job on his message this morning. That was awesome. But if we're going to get a crown from him, we have to do it his way. All of us are human. All of us have a sin nature. And there's times when that sin nature rears its ugly head, doesn't it? And we think that we're something special or different. and No, that rule doesn't apply to me. But God looks on the heart. He knows. Second Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter 4. Beginning in verse 6. Paul writes, For I am now ready to be offered. Have you ever stopped to think what it's like to know your death is imminent? Paul did. And he goes on and says, And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept The faith. God has a plan for what he wants each of us to do. And just because it's your plan doesn't automatically make it God's plan. He fought a good fight. He finished his course. He says, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. First crown I want to talk about tonight. Which the Lord, this isn't an earthly crown, but he goes on and says, The righteous judge, yes, if you ever run into an unrighteous judge, there's a few of them out there. Sometimes it's fellow church members. Shall give me at that day. And not to me only. Paul says, look folks, I'm not the only one that's going to get this crown. But unto all them also that love is appearing. They're looking forward to when Jesus comes back to the earth. They're looking forward to if they die before Jesus comes back at the rapture, that he will give him that crown. Do you love looking for the Lord's return? I got saved in a little independent Baptist church north of Tomahawk, Wisconsin, back in March of 1978. And one of the couples, they were a bit older than I was at that time, were Charles and Esther Kleiber. It was very rare that you got through a service that Esther was in when before the service or after the service that she didn't talk about the Lord's return, right, Donna? She was looking for the Lord's return. Most of the world, when you talk to them about it, they just, "Huh, that's a bunch of hooey." They don't believe it. But Esther always was looking for the Lord's return. Are you looking? for the Lord to return. The rapture that I started out with is imminent. It could come at any time. It could come in this service. could come tonight, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. Personally, I don't think we're that all far from it. You read and see what's going on in the world around us, and uh, we have one crazy, mixed up place. The crown of righteousness is to all those, it's given to all those who love his appearing. Do you love the thought of the Lord Jesus Christ coming back? When you wake up in the morning, you ask the question, Lord, is it today? Is the remaining few minutes or hours I have on this earth, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to spend it for you? You interested in the crown of righteousness? Let's turn over to the book of James. Chapter 1. James, chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. Temptation comes in different forms, doesn't it? In my house, one of those common forms, yes, I'm giving away one of my wife's secrets. It's also mine. Is mint chocolate chip ice cream. That's a pleasant temptation. We just got to learn to take it easy and not sit down. One of the pastors I knew when we were in Yuba City, California, thought nothing of buying a five-quart bucket of ice cream and sitting down with a big spoon and not stopping until it was clean and dry. In one sitting. Don and I try not to be quite that bad. But it's difficult. Then there are difficult temptations. When somebody says something about you or some member of your family, if you don't like it, especially if you're the husband or the father, and they say something about your wife or one of your daughters, and uh, you wanna get up and, okay, buddy. We're gonna see who's left standing. Those can be temptations that are hard to deal with. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. The second crown, the crown of life. It's for those who endure Temptations, little ones, but also the real big ones. You know, the kind that sometimes missionaries face. They go into a village. They start preaching God's word. And they're told to leave or die on the spot. What do you do? You turn tail and run, or do you stay and die? Okay. Next one Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Revelation 2 8. I started at the beginning of this letter to the church in Smyrna it says and unto the angel the pastor of the church in Smyrna write the apostle john is on patmos he is a political prisoner he was sent to patmos to die these things saith the first and the last which was dead and is alive personal message From the Lord Jesus Christ to the church at Smyrna at this time. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. There may be financial or physical poverty, but they are rich in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. That church had it pretty hard. They had Jews and Gentiles after them. Behold, John writes, under the direction of the Lord Jesus Christ, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that ye may be tried and ye shall have tribulation ten days. You ever had a situation you felt like the temptation, the trial, the tribulation, whatever? You think it's going to last forever? Does coronavirus ever come to your mind on that issue? But God has his hand on the calendar and the clock. He knows when whatever you're going through is going to start. He knows when it's going to stop. There's always a possibility it'll end when you die, but Whatever. But he's got it under control. And then the instruction, be thou faithful unto death. No matter what it costs you in this life isn't worth it compared to the life that's going to come. And I will give thee a crown of life. Once again, the crown of life is for tribulation or temptation, and we know that it always has a beginning and it always has an end. Let's go back a few pages to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. So we've had the crown of righteousness and the crown of life. 1 Peter 5 gives us a third crown. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. The elders, as I understand Scripture, that is one of the name given to pastors. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Peter was an eyewitness for everything the Lord Jesus Christ went through in his time here on earth in his public ministry. And Jesus wasn't always liked, appreciated, and enjoyed in his earthly ministry. But Peter goes on and writes, And also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Peter knows what's coming Peter knows that someday he's going to be with the Lord. He'll be on the winning side. Feed the flock of God which is among you. Take in the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. In other words, don't be forced into the ministry, into the pastorate. Take it willingly. Willingly not for filthy lucre, not for money. Oh, I'm gonna leave this church and I want a bigger church because they can pay me more and they can get, give me better health insurance and they can do all this and I can, maybe if I'm lucky and I can talk real nice to the right people, they'll let me drive a Lexus or whatever. If it was me, I'd say, give me an old F-150, I'll be happy. And then he finishes the verse, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. Pastors should be an example of how a Christian should live. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So the third crown here is the crown of glory. Sometimes it's referred to as the pastor's or the shepherd's crown. It's for pastors that serve well, whether it's a long time or a short time. And finally, let's turn back to the Gospel of John, chapter 19. John 19. good chunk of the Gospel of John takes place in the last week of the Lord's life. Previous to chapter 19, Jesus had come to Jerusalem knowing he was going to die. He tried to tell the disciples. He'd been telling that for quite a while. And they were like me and maybe you. Kind of slow to pick up on things. I had a Breakdown down in my lawn tractor a couple weeks ago. The deck would move up and down. The lawn tractor start and ran and go forward and backward, did everything, but the mower deck wouldn't work. So I checked online and found the part, ordered it, got it, put it in, And to put it, hook up the bottom part to the cable, I had to lower the deck all the way down as low as it'd go. Worked great. Some days I'm grateful for Google. I bought that lawnmower in the summer of 1998 because we had moved out on the Kootenai River Road west of Libby, Montana, about six miles. We had to Kootenai River behind the house, we had two acres to mow. And when uh, Don and I moved into the house, a lot of the grass was like this high. And even with an 18 and a half horse craftsman lawn tractor, I was taking swaths that were from four to eight inches wide so it wouldn't choke the thing out. I've had it. I've used it. I had a lawn business in Libby, Montana. I had a lawn business in uh, Salt Lake area. I've mowed a few lawns for people here in Canton. And I finally learned something. You know, if you put the deck all the way down after you're done mowing and it's all full of grass, it's so much easier to clean the the deck off. 22 years of being dumb and slow. Ever done something like that? Those are hard lessons to learn some days and you feel like crawling under the carpet. John chapter 19. Jesus has now been taken captive. He's before Pontius Pilate. Chapter 19 of John, verse 1, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. Can you imagine what scourging with a cat of nine tails type thing would do? They'd put broken whatever was heavy and sharp on that. Cuts your back to ribbons. And the soldiers plated a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. Purple is a royal color and said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that ye may know that I find no fault in him. He took Jesus out to the crowd, after he and his soldiers had done what they wanted. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priests therefore and the officers saw him, meaning Jesus, they cried out saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. You ever been wrong in what you said and totally right? They had no idea what they had just said. He was the Son of God. And the last crown I want to talk about briefly is the crown of thorns. There's only one person in the history of the world that ever had to do that. The Lord Jesus Christ. He did that for you and for me. Have you ever seen a crown of thorns from Jerusalem? I've had a number of friends that have been there and every one of them that I know of has brought back a crown of thorns. I mean, some of those thorns are like this. Can you imagine that being put on top of your head? And they probably didn't just set it lightly. No, they probably found ways to hammer it down as hard and as often as possible. That was just a little bit of what Jesus went through. He'd been scourged. He'd been beat on. He was going to go to the cross, have nails put through his hands, through his feet. Normally it took three days, count them, three days to die for a healthy individual. But because of what it was, they just had the Feast of Passover a short time before that. They had to take him down off the cross. So they went, to break their legs and they did that for the other two and came to Jesus and he was already dead. But Jesus took the crown of thorns so you and I don't have to. Jesus was the only one that had to be crucified, had to die, be buried, but the first to rise again from the dead. He did that early on a Sunday morning to pay the penalty for all the sins that the whole world has committed ever since Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. It's approximately 6,000 years and untold billions of people. Going to close with a couple questions. Well, maybe a few. What has the Lord Jesus done for you? What has the Lord Jesus done for you? Be specific, apply it to your life. What has the Lord Jesus done in your life? How has He worked in your heart? How has He changed your life for the better? I'm not proud to admit it, but I was a drunk. I was a lush. I was an alcoholic by most people's standards. I took my last drink a little more than a year before I got saved. But I'll tell you this, ever since I got saved, I have had no interest or desire for alcohol whatsoever. Read through the four Gospels and see how the Lord Jesus Christ changed people's lives after he met them. You will normally find that he took something out of their life. I know what it was in mine. Don and I came home from Wisconsin two days early. We had booked a Friday night this past week, dinner cruise on the Lacrosse Queen out of La Crosse, Wisconsin. It's a paddle boat. We got a call Friday. Mark, can we move you to another cruise? Why? Uh, you and your wife are the only two people booked on that cruise. We can put you on an earlier cruise. Oh, okay, what's that? They told me, and I couldn't believe it, and my brain kind of (laughs) went and froze up. It was the beer and pizza cruise. I don't have any problems with alcohol. I can look at it. I don't touch it. I don't take it but do I really need to run with a bunch of drunks that are pigging out on pizza and doing whatever they do on that cruise? Once again, what has the Lord done in your life? Be specific. Next, what does the Lord Jesus want you to do with the rest of your life? Or another way of putting it, how are you going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ with the time you have left on earth. Got any ideas? Ever ask him to show you what he wants you to do? He showed me one time, a long time ago, not long after I got saved. And as I've said before, being the always humble, obedient servant that I am, I fought him tooth and nail for six months. you ever fought the Lord on something he wanted you to do? My advice surrender and say okay Lord you're going to have to do it because I can't. You can do and have an amazing life if you let God lead, guide and do the things that you and I can't do. What are you going to do for God? Let's pray. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.